All right, good evening, everyone. Let us, let us begin. So, Emir Tzashem, first of all, welcome back from our, from our little break from last week. And thank you, Tevran, for, uh, for braving the elements, Emir Tzashem, and coming out for tonight's cheer. I want to just do something a little bit different there, whereas I know each and every week we try to focus primarily on Sefer Tehillim and go ahead and tie it into the parsha. Given the fact that this is women's share, and given the fact that this parsha is Chai Sara, and of course the death and life of Sari Imenu plays such a profound and prominent role, so I'd like to spend really this year a bit more focused on the parsha. And actually, interestingly enough, what we will see in Mirza Hashem is that from some of these sodo, some of the fundamental ideas which we glean from this week's from this week's shift, from this parasha, will the Mirza Hashem inform our discussions in the weeks ahead on the Kapitlach of Tum that we're going to focus on. So let's begin with the opening Pasik from the parasha. Vayu chayei sara, mea shana ve'esim shana ve'sheva shanim, shnei chayei sara. Torah tells us, on one hand, a very simple statement. These are the years, these are the years of the life of Sarah, 100 years, 20 years, and 7 years, the years of the life of Sarah. So there are many different questions that come down on this Pasuk, right? On the most basic level, the first question, first question. Right, in other words, why are the years divided up? Just tell us that she lived 127 years. Why 100 years? Why 20 years? Why 7 years? That's question number one. Question number two, which is the last phrase in the Pasek itself, Shnei Chayei Sara, these are the years of Sari Imenu's life, seems to be a redundant and unnecessary phrase. So Rashi HaKadosh addresses both of these issues. Rashi says in number two, So Rashi says something very interesting. Rashi says the Torah is coming to teach us a little bit about the essence of Sari Imenu's life. You know, it, it's interesting if you think about it. Some of the people who are the most profound, important, and seminal figures within our, within our people's history, we don't know that much about. If you think about it for just a moment, right? How much do we really know about Sari Imenu? So if you think about it again, what do we know about Sari Imenu, right? We're introduced to her when? When? At the end of Parshas Noach, when we're told that she relocates right with Avram. That's when we're first introduced to her. The truth is, most of what we learn about Sarah Imenu is passive. Right? We learn about the episode, she's taken captive twice. Once by Paro, once by Avimelech. The only time where we see Sarah doing something active is really, again, all in the same context. The context of where she advises Avram to take Hagar as a wife, when she herself is unable to conceive. Then ultimately, again, getting rid of Hagar the first time, and then expelling Hagar with Yishmael the third time after the birth of Yitzchak. One more time, we receive Sari Benu laughing when she hears HaKadosh Baruch Hu Avinu that you're going to have a child. If you think about all that that you put together, it's pretty much like you could count on one hand, the number of things that the Torah Dosha tells us about Sari Imenu, which is so interesting and intriguing, because Sari Imenu is one of the most important people in our people's history, right? She, she's the first of the Imos. She's the first of the matriarchs. She left an imprint that is felt to this very day upon Klal Yisrael. And if you think about it, how much do we really know about her? So according to Rashi, what's fascinating is 
This Pasuk is not just simply telling us that Sarah Aminu died and she was 127 years old. Torah is also conveying to us important information about who Sarah was. And ultimately, again, Rashi, Rashi says, that's why it breaks it up, 120 and 7. Rashi says in the second line, Bas esrim ma bas esrim bas When she was 100, she was like 20 when it comes to sin. Now, what does that mean? So the Gemara brings down that a person is not held responsible for their sinful activity below the age of 20, which is good. So anyone here is below the age of 20, take advantage, right? But no, I'm just kidding. Hey, so so the, the idea over here is something very interesting. You're not held. So the same way that when she was younger than 20, she was quote unquote sin free. Even when she reached the age of 100, she was still sin free. And then Rashi goes on. Rashi says, and bas esrim, that's very interesting. And when she was 20, she was like seven in terms of beauty, which is actually very interesting because the truth is, one would have thought just the opposite, right? Bepashtos, a woman at 20, possesses beauty that she doesn't have when she's seven, right? Seven is a child, 20 already is, is again, is womanhood. The Maral says something so beautiful. The Maral and Gurari comments on this and he explains that the same way that a seven-year-old has a beauty that's innocent, has a beauty that's not tainted by any of the realities of the world, Sari Imenu retained that innocent beauty throughout her entire life. So therefore, according to Rashi, what's unfolding over here is the Torah telling us, giving us a little bit of a window, not simply into Sarah's death, but who Sora was throughout her lifetime. Okay, so that's addressing why it's broken up into 127. What about the last piece? Why does that, if you go back to number one for just a moment, why do you need that phrase, Shnei Chaye Sara? These are the years of Sara Iminu's life. And here, Rashi says again, last line in number two, an incredible statement, Shnei Chaye Sara, Kulon Shavin Litova. All of Sara Iminu's years were good. Kulon Shavin Litova. Now, if I were to ask you, what doesn't that statement mean? I know that's an open-ended question, right? What doesn't that statement mean? In other words, well, let me say it differently. When you read that statement, they were all good. What does that sound like? They were all good. What does that mean they were all good? Positive attitude. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Good. Any other suggestions? No Averos. So it's interesting because that's often the reflexive understanding. But we know, as tempting as that sounds, is that possible to be true? No, no. In fact, again, remember, I want to point out, there is a Ramban, for example, that was highly critical of Sari Imenu's behavior in the way that she mistreated Hagar. So the Ramban holds that Sari Imenu, when she first exiles Hagar from the home, the Ramban says, Sari Imenu mistreated Hagar. And the Ramban goes so far to say that because Sari Imenu mistreated Hagar, therefore, the descendants of Hagar hate the descendants of Sarah to this very day. Just today, there was another terror attack in Eretz Yisrael, which claimed three lives. The animosity, the animosity between the children of Hagar and between the children of Sarah exists to this very day. Where does that animosity come from? The Ramban says it comes from Sarah Yemenu's mistreatment of Hagar. 
So to say that Sari Aminu was, was, was blameless, was sin-free, not true. First of all, no one is sin-free. No one that, it's, it ain't, it's ain't Even the most righteous of people do some, something wrong. So, right? In other words, the Torah goes out of its way to tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock no less than four times. You think to yourself, give the man a break. Give the man a break. He committed one Avera in his entire life. Why do you have to beat a dead horse? Why do you have to keep saying it? It's to impress upon us a very simple idea. Even Moshe Rabbeinu makes mistakes. And that's what makes Moshe Rabbeinu a human. There's no such thing as a human being who doesn't make mistakes. So what does Kulan Shavin Litova, all of the, all of the years, so Shnei, according to Rashi, Shnei Chayi Sara, all of her years were good. So I want to share with you two interpretations of this that I think are quite amazing. I'm going to go a little bit out of order. If you take a look at number four, this is from an essay by Rabbi Soloveitchik. Rabbi Soloveitchik, again, it's actually a beautiful, beautiful essay titled The Covenantal Role of Sarah. The Rav had two essays, one about Avram Avinu, one about Avram Avinu, and one about Sarah Imenu. And in this, he, it's in, if you look at the title over here, he writes, What was Sarah like? What was Sarah like? And again, it's interesting, and I urge you to go back and think about this, that who was Sarah Imenu? And I just want to point out again that if you open up the Chumash and you go through the text, you don't necessarily get a complete picture as to who Sarah Imenu really was. There are bits and pieces. There are some episodes here and there, but it does not seem to paint for us a complete portrait. So Rabbi is intrigued by this. Who was Sara Imenu? And again, not that I'm going to get a whole biographical sketch, but at the end of the day, what was the dominant quality of Sara Imenu? And Rabbi Salavichik says something so beautiful over here. If you look on the left-hand paragraph, all the way at the end, about four lines up from the bottom, he quotes over here, Rashi, Kulan Shavin Latova. They were all for good. All of Sarah's years were good. Look at this. Rashi is suggesting, this is so beautiful, three divisions of life, childhood, youth, and adulthood on the right-hand column need not be mutually exclusive. Now, what Rabbi Soloveitchik is doing over here is he's blending the two parts of Rashi, right? Rashi first comments on Meashana, as right, Meashana, Esrim Shana, the Sheva Shanin. 100 years, 20 years, 7 years. So remember, Rashi broke up, the Torah break, breaks up. Rabbi Soloveitchik says, what's 120 and 7? Different stages of life. Different stages of life, right? Ultimately, again, we'll call, working backwards, 7 is childhood, 7 is childhood, 20 is youth, and ultimately, again, 100 represents adulthood. Three different stages in life. And Rabbi Soloveitchik says something absolutely amazing. When people age, when people age, not that anyone here knows anything about that, right? But maybe you have a friend who's aging, right? So people age. What usually happens as people age? They usually go from one stage to another and assume that once, once, in other words, as now I start a new stage, the previous stage is over. So I was a child. Now I'm transitioning from childhood into youth, into young adulthood. My childhood is over. My young adulthood has, my youth has begun. Now my youth is over. Ultimately, again, adulthood has become, has begun. Rabbi Soloveitchik says something amazing. 
He says, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, that's not the ideal way to live, to transition from stage to stage. Instead, how should one live? And this is incredible. One could retain, the right-hand paragraph, one could retain the positive strength of past stages, even as we progress in life. The charismatic covenantal personality, indeed, this is the mark of true greatness, is able to absorb, to experience the qualities of three periods simultaneously. The child is in, so again, before we go on, Rabbi Soloveitchik says, do you know what it means to lead a successful life? It's the ability not to go from stage to stage and leave each stage behind you. It's to go from stage to stage and to take each stage with you. So what does this mean? This is so beautiful. The child is endowed with a capacity of all-absorbing faith and trustfulness. Youth bursts with zealousness, idealism, and optimism. The adult, mellowed with years, has the benefit of accumulated knowledge and dispassionate judgment. To me, these lines are so incredibly profound. Rabbi Soloveitchik is describing the three different stages in life. Again, what, right, what, what does a child have? Right? A child ultimately, again, has trust. Right? The child sees the world in such a simple and beautiful way, trusting that all is good around him or her. What does youth have? What does youth have? Optimism. Idealism. Azrizos, a zealousness. Right? I can do anything, accomplish everything. And then what happens? What does adulthood have? Adulthood has dispassionate judgment. The ability to kind of see things for what they are, to not make rash decisions, and the ability to think things through. Right, Rabbi Soloveitchik? Each age is physically and psychologically attuned to particular emphasis, but the superior individual can retain and harmonize the positive strengths of all three periods during his entire lifetime. Listen to how profound this is. Right? What does it mean to live a successful life? Living a successful life is when you could simultaneously be a child, right, a youth, and an adult. It's when you could simultaneously harness all of these powers within you at the same time. Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, Sarah was such a person. The goodness of her life was equally distributed. Kulam shavin letova. The Rav says, this is what Rashi means. When the Pasuk says, Shnei chaye Sarah, these were the years of Sarah's life. And Rashi adds in his comment, Kulan Shavin Litova. They were all good. Rabbi Soloveitchik wants to suggest that what Rashi is saying is that Sarah Imenu was able to take each and every stage with her in the progression of life. She was at the same time a child in her total faith, youthful in her exuberant idealism, and an adult in the maturity of her judgment. What a beautiful idea. This was the tribute Avraham bestowed on Sarah. So you want to know who Sari Menu was? Sari Menu was a person who was simultaneously able to be a child, a young adult, and a mature adult, all at the same time. And by the way, if you think about this, you see this in Sarah's life. Where do you see her childlike qualities? Where do you see her childlike qualities? 
when she, right? Well, good, when she laughed, that's also beautiful. That maybe it's just the innocent laughter of like a child's laughter, beautiful. Even earlier, she follows Amram, right? Imagine for a moment, your husband comes home one day and says, listen, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. Good news, pack up, we're going. We're going, right? Where? I don't know. God didn't tell me that piece of information, right? So can you, again, just think about how you would, no matter how pious you think your husband might be, right? Imagine, I think most people, and again, most rational people would say, you know what, maybe you haven't eaten in a while, you should relax a little bit, take a day off tomorrow, maybe we need a vacation before you go. In other words, what does what Sarah, Avinu comes from, he says, God spoke to me, he told me lech lecha. And what does Sarah Imenu say? What does she say? Wait, when are we leaving? When are we leaving? That's a child's trust. That's a child's trust, right? A child, right? The child, a child has a trust in a parent that is not a rational trust. It's an, it's an irrational trust that only a young child can. Sorry, I mean, who has that level of trust and innocence, but she's also a young adult, right? A young adult in what she has ridiculous idealism. Where do we see Sarah Amina's ridiculous idealism? When she tells Avraham to take Hagar. See, you have to understand something. When Avraham and Sarah didn't have children, what was Avraham's plan regarding their infertility? What was his plan? Nothing. He didn't have a plan. In other words, Sarah's my wife. I love her. This is it. So if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not going to give us children, then, you know, again, we understand Avraham and Sarah were a profound power couple. And just to understand the profundity of their interconnectedness is after Sari Imenu dies, what does Avramavinu accomplish? Nothing. Right? I shouldn't say nothing. He marries off Yitzchak. That's this week's parasha, right? Because remember again, Sari Imenu dies at the beginning of this week's parasha. The, a good part of the parasha is Avram sending Eliezer to find a wife for Yitzchak. And then, by the way, what happens afterwards? Avram dies. He, it sounds like Torah tells us he marries again, has a few more kids, right? And then he dies. The dynamic activity of Avram Avinu comes to a close with the death of Sari Imenu. So Avram didn't have a plan for infertility. The plan was, this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us. This is what it is. I'm content with you. And, you know, Rabbi Salavechik, again, has a beautiful essay. He has essays on marriage. And one of the things that the Rav writes about that you learn from Sari Menu and Avram Avinu is that we often think of marriage as a vehicle for procreation. But the Rav says that there's also a concept of marriage as a vehicle for companionship. Even if it doesn't create procreation, the companionship itself is a profound aspect of the relationship. And Rabbi Salvage, where do you see that from? From Avram and Sarah. Right? It's, it's interesting. You don't see this dynamic by other couples. You see it by Avram and Sarah. That Avram Avinu knows they're old people. They're old people. What are they, barring a miracle, he's not going to have children with Sarah. He never says to Sarah, you know, maybe I should marry someone else. This is it. I love my wife. I'm content with this life. This is it. Sarah, in her youthful idealism, says, you need to take another wife. You need to take another wife. Because there needs to be a future. What we are building cannot end with us. And if I can't give you a child, then you need to marry someone else who can. Not only that, but Sarah says, and this is incredible, Sarah says to Avram, you know, in in biblical relationships, there are two different types of relationships. There's marriage. A man could take a woman as a wife or as a concubine. 
as a concubine. So a concubine is a lower level of marriage. Sarah says to Avram, don't take Hagar as a, as a pilagesh, as a concubine. No, marry her. Marry her. It should be legit. Right? It, it should be proper. This, if this woman is going to bear you a child, and this child is going to be the future of your monotheistic enterprise, it has to be done. It should be correct. Ridiculous idealism. Sarah Menu is so committed to their life's work, to their life's mission, that she tells her husband, go ahead and marry another woman. Okay, where do we see Sarah Imenu's mature, dispassionate judgment? Remember, Sarah has to tell her husband to do something very difficult, which is to expel Yishmael from the home. Avram Avinu is very resistant. HaKadosh Baruch Hu intervenes. And what does Hashem tell Avram Avinu? Right, it's amazing. Women always get that question right. right? Incredible. Kol asher tamar elecha Sarah shma bekola. Whatever Sarah Imenu tells you, Listen, wow. You know what Echlech Baruch is saying, Avram Avinu? Your wife is a wise woman. You can't make a, Avram, you can't make a dispassionate decision over here because this is your son. She can. She can. And you have to listen. Whatever she tells you to do is what you need to do. So isn't it incredible? Do you want to know the great, see, the great challenge of life says Rabbi Salavechik is you know what happens? We stop being children. Right? We leave, we leave childhood, we become young adults, and we forever close the door on our childhood. And then when we go from young adulthood to mature adulthood, we go ahead and close the door on young adulthood, now I'm a mature adult. That's not how the Jew lives. Sarimenu teaches us the goal is to take elements of each stage with you along your journey in life. So never lose an element of the trustfulness of your childhood and never lose the excitement, the zealousness, the eagerness, the optimism, the hope of your young adulthood and make sure to always keep a piece of the dispassionate judgment of your mature adulthood with you every single step of the way. Herein lies the greatness of Sarah Imenu. Shnei Chaye Sarah, Kulan Shavin Litova. All of the years were of incredible, equal, beautiful goodness. Such a, to me, I've, I've always found this piece to just be so incredible, so overwhelming. And this, this is what we look to for Sarah Imenu. This is the legacy that Sarah Imenu teaches us. You know, we have, there are other examples of this. You know, everybody likes to speak about aging gracefully. It's a big thing now. We should age gracefully. So people think that like aging gracefully is often a reference to how you look, right? I want to age gracefully, right? So I don't know what that means. Less wrinkles, more, whatever, whatever it means. For a Jew, aging gracefully means I don't close the door on any particular stage of life. I take the beautiful elements of each of them with me as I go into the next. That's how the Jew ages gracefully. That's the years of Sari Imenu's life. Take a look at number three. That's the first approach. First of all, which is beautiful. I want to share with you now something that is, I saw this Al-Sheikh and, and I was absolutely blown away by it. So go back up to number three for just a moment. Get ready for this. So the Al-Sheikh writes, So the Al-Sheikh, the Al-Sheikh himself was a more uh, Kabbalistically oriented commentary. See, in three Aleph, he says something amazing. It is known 
it is known from the from the Chachmei Ames, the, the sages who know the truth, whoever that is. Ki Avram v'Sara, listen to this. Bo'u l'takin es asher ifsu adam l'chaba. Avram and Sarah came to atone for the sin of Adam and Chava. Listen to this. Why wasn't Avram created as the first human being? So this is incredible. So again, the Al-Sheikh quoting from the, from the Zar, telling us this idea, Avram and Sarah, their mission was to atone for the mistake of Adam and Chava. Get ready for this. V'hu, ki Adam, ki Adam v'chava, and now in source number three, paragraph Aleph, four lines in. Ki Adam v'chava heviu misli olam. Adam and Chava, because of their actions, brought death to the world. V'avram v'sarah heviu chayim olam. Avram and Sarah brought life to the world. Right? How did Avram and Sarah bring life to the world? By introducing HaKadosh Baruch Hu to mankind, they brought life to the world. So Adam and Chava brought death, Avram and Sarah brought life. Elu garma klala, ve'elu Adam and Chava brought klala, brought curses upon the earth. Adam, Avram and Sarah brought blessing. Adam silik shechina l'rakia, Adam and Chava's actions caused HaKadosh Baruch Hu to retreat from the earth into the, into the celestial sphere. The Avram and Shvi. What did Avram and Sarah do? They brought down the Shechina from the heavens into the earth. Goes on. So what happened? So again, uh, so Adam and Chava through their actions, they went ahead and they tarnished the soul. Avram and Sarah brought so many souls back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Adam and Chava ate what they weren't supposed to and as a result ultimately brought death to the world. What did Avram and Sarah do? Avram and Sarah ultimately went ahead and fed people. And by feeding people, it's incredible. Right? Adam and Chava used, used food to drive a wedge between themselves and God. Avram and Sarah used food to bring people closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he says something amazing. He says, he says, okay, so in paragraph base he goes on. So I want to point out something that's really fascinating over here, which is, which is that the al paints this picture that of the life of Sarah Imenu, that Sarah was always living in these two spheres or these two, these two dimensions. On one hand, there was an incredible part of her life that was focused on atoning for the past. Not even her misdeeds, but the misdeeds, again, of the first woman, of Chava, right? And then there was another part of her life that was focused ultimately on building a future. An incredible dichotomy. A woman focused on atoning for the past and ultimately simultaneously building the future. Now, pause this for just a moment. Pause this for just a moment. And I want to contrast this with someone amazing from last week's parasha. If you turn the page, turn the page, we're going to go back to last week's parasha for just a moment. The Torah says we're going back now to the story of Lot and Stone. Another fascinating, really riveting story. So the Torah says, number five, 
ויאמר הימלט על נפשך, אל תביט אחריך ואל תמו בך לכיכר ההרה, ההרה הימלט פנטי סופה. So remember again, just to, to frame the story, Lot and his family are being saved from the destruction of Stol. The Malach comes, the Malach comes, and ultimately goes in and tells Lot, his wife, his wife, remember the Medrash tells us the name of Lot's wife was Iris. Ayin Yud Resh Yud Sof. Iris. So the Malach tells Lot, Iris and the two daughters who are escaping with them, go, run, run away, but whatever you do, whatever you do, do not look back. Do not look back. Okay, skip for just a moment to number seven. What happens? Iris looks back, and what happens? She becomes a pillar of salt. So there's a couple of questions you have to analyze over here. Question number one is why can't they look back? Question number two is why does Iris, upon looking back, become a pillar of salt? So Rashi says over number six, something very interesting. Sorry for going out of order. Rashi says, so Rashi says on a very simple level, on a very simple level, you don't have a right to look at their destruction. In other words, what the Malach was telling them is really Lot, Iris, daughters, you should be destroyed with the rest of stone. Remember again, Lot, Lot was righteous. Lot was righteous in comparison to the people of stone. But was Lot objectively righteous? Was he objectively righteous? No. How do we know that he wasn't objectively righteous? You remember the episode, right, where Lot is entertaining the Malachim in his home. He didn't yet realize that they're Malachim. What happens? The people of stone surround the house. Surround the house. Right? And they say to Lot, send out your guests to us. What does Lot say? Remember what does Lot say? Right? Leave my guests alone. Here, I have two unmarried daughters. Take them, do what you want. What? What, what, what are you talking about? What, what, is, what does that even mean? So you're willing to sacrifice your two daughters to, to safeguard Hachmasas Archim of strangers? See, that's what stone does. Stone warps everything. It warps everything. Salute. Remember, so this was the guy who was willing to give up his two daughters to some angry mob outside of his house. So the Malach says, don't look back. You have no right to see the destruction of your landsman. You have no right to look at the destruction of stone because you are just as culpable. You are just as guilty as they were. The only reason you're being saved is because of your uncle, because of Armavinu. Therefore, you have no right to look back. Iris looks back. She turns into a pillar of salt. Why does she turn into a pillar of salt? So we're familiar with the famous Rashi, number eight Rashi says, she sinned with salt. So again, Rashi quotes the Medrash. The Medrash says that when Lod brought home the guests, he served them some bread. He asked Iris for some salt and she went ballistic on him. Right? It's bad enough that you go out and you bring home guests. It's bad enough that you that you're have this whole Achmasas Archim thing. Now, now you want me to feed them, and it's not enough to feed them. Now you want to give me salt? So Rashi quotes over here that because she was reticent to give salt, 
Therefore, she turns into a pillar of salt. Okay, so this is the conventional understanding of Rashi. But let's try to look at this a little bit deeper. Let's try to understand. See, because the one, what's the one unanswered question all of this? So now I know why they can't look back. All right. I know according to Rashi now, again, why she turned into a pillar of salt. What question remains unanswered? Why did Iris look back? At the end of the day, why did she look back? In other words, the, again, you know stone is being destroyed. You know that you're being saved even though you don't deserve to be saved. You're given one simple instruction. Well, it, it's funny how, it's funny how like so many of the stories of the Torah are the same, it's the same story. People given one simple instruction and unable or unwilling to comply with one simple instruction. Adam, Chava, don't eat that fruit. Iris, don't look back. And there's multiple other... So why does she look back? So the Medrash writes in number nine, something very moving. The Medrash writes, Michmaru rachameha al So remember again, there's another part of the story. So Lot and Iris had four daughters. Two of them were married. Two of them were unmarried. Lot tries to convince his sons-in-law and his daughters to flee with them. So the Torah says, They didn't take him seriously. So according to the Medrash, what happens? Iris, and it's truly heartbreaking, Iris is escaping stone with only two of her daughters, with her two unmarried daughters who are at home. So why does she look back? Why does she look back? Right to the Perkei Rabbi Lazar number nine, Vebita Acharei Lir Osim Holchos Acharei. Why did she look back? Because she was hoping maybe last minute my married daughters are coming. She was a mother. She was a mother, and she was simply looking back to see if her children were in tow. Are my daughters? Did they? Did they finally get their senses about them? Did they decide to follow? So again. She, it, it's a heartbreaking reason why she's looking back, but she still, again, was in defiance of the directive of the Malach. So, okay, th- that's one approach. I want to show you something a little bit different. Take a look at number 10. The Gemara Masech Asyuma says something. The Gemara says, Which is a fascinating statement. Literally translated, thoughts of sin are even more intense or more severe than sin itself. Which, at first glance, doesn't make all that much sense. Remember, does a Kaddish Baruch Hu hold us accountable for sinful thoughts? That's a good question. Right? Baruch Hashem, the answer to that is no. Otherwise, some of us would be in an incredible amount of trouble. Right? Baruch doesn't normally hold us accountable for sinful thoughts. So that's the key. There are exceptions like idolatry, other things like that. But Lamaisa, why does the Gemara say that thoughts of Avera are even worse, or even worse than the action of an Avera itself? So of course, on a, on a basic level, one can make the argument that, you see, when I do a Maisa Avera, when I do an action of an Avera, the advantage is I know I've done something wrong. So if I know that I've done something wrong, then I have the ability, hopefully, to rectify it. When a person is steeped in inappropriate thoughts, it's easy to justify that by just saying, 
It's just thoughts. I haven't done anything. So because I haven't done anything, therefore, again, there's nothing to rectify. And therefore, a person could end up struggling with that throughout an entire lifetime. But comes on the Chazanish. And the Chazanish number 11 says something absolutely astounding. He writes, Koi al hirhurim shala This is incredible. The Chazanish says, when the Gemara says, Hirhure avera kasha avera. Thoughts of sin are even more severe than the sin itself. The Chazanish says, which thoughts of sin are we talking about? He's talking about preoccupation with the fact that I've done something wrong after I've committed the wrong, right? We know this because we've all experienced this. I commit an Avera, so I've done the action. What often happens after I sin? What happens? What happens? Guilt. Guilt. And by the way, guilt, guilt, having a feeling of guilt is a good thing. That means that my neshama is sensitive to sin, right? When, when there's no guilt, that's actually scary. That, that means that I'm even in a greater state of disrepair than I even realized. So the Chazanish says something amazing. He says, Thoughts of sin are even more severe than the sin itself. The Chazanish posits, refers to the guilty feelings after I sin. Get ready for this. Lachshov machshavos yeyosh. Because says the Chazanish, sometimes I'm so overwhelmed by guilt that I'm just simply ready to give up. I feel so badly about myself. I feel so down on myself. I feel like I've, I've failed so profoundly that I'm literally ready to throw in the towel. So it says the Chazanish. That's, that's what it means. Sometimes, this is incredible, the guilt that you feel, the feelings, the thoughts of guilt after the sin, sometimes are more debilitating than the actual Avera itself. I sinned. Okay, we all make mistakes. But then that guilt, you know, if anyone's, if we all experience guilt in different ways, that guilt could be paralyzing. That guilt could be overwhelming. And that guilt could literally be so powerful that it causes a person to give up on life. And the Chazanish says, I'm sorry, that's a typo. If someone wants to be saved from these feelings of guilt, what should you do? This is incredible. What do you need to do sometimes if you need to save yourself from guilt? What do you have to do? Stop thinking about the past and focus on the future. The Chazanish says sometimes when you feel that you're about to lose yourself in the guilt of your transgressions, if you feel that you're about to lose yourself in the guilt of your misdeeds, if I feel, I know I didn't have Vera, I feel so guilty, I feel so bad about it, and I feel the, I feel the life paralysis setting in, says the Chazanish, stop thinking about it, and just move yourself forward in life. And says the Divrei Shmuel something absolutely amazing. Now we understand what's happening in stone. The Maloch says to Lot and his family, you are being saved. Brand new beginning. Brand new start. But in order to fully actualize the new start, there's only one condition. What's the condition? What's the condition? Don't look back. Don't look back. 
What does it mean, don't look back? Says the Divrei Shmuel in number 12. Don't look back. Don't look at your past failures. Don't look at your past failures. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, the, the Malach says, to Iris, to Lot, to the girls, you're being given the greatest gift in the world. What's the greatest gift? The greatest gift? A new start. A new beginning. But the only way for you to take advantage of that new beginning is Al-Tabet Acharecha. You can't look back. You can't look back. You have to look forward. You have to look forward. But what about the failures of the past? What about all the misdeeds of the past? What about all the missteps of the past? What about all the things that went so terribly wrong? Got it? Understood? You got to leave it back in stone? And if you want to embrace this beautiful new future in front of you, you just have to look forward. The mistake, ultimately again, that Iris made is that she was being given a fresh start, a new beginning, but it required a disciplined look forward. Iris couldn't do it. Iris could not disassociate herself from the failures of the past. She could not disassociate again from the nephilos, from the failures of the past, and therefore she turns into a pillar of salt. By the way, what's salt? What's salt? Salt is a preservative. What salt does is it preserves things in their current state. And that thing that is preserved remains in that state. It could be forever. It could be forever. Why does Iris turn into a pillar of salt? Because it represented her inability to move herself forward by stopping to look backwards. And it's such an incredible insight into this story. You're being given a new beginning, a fresh start. But the only way for you to actualize that is stop looking at what's behind you. Stop looking at what's behind you and focus solely on what's in front of you. Iris can't do it. And when you can't stop looking at your past, what you become is a pillar of preservative. What you become is a pillar of salt forever preserved in where you are unable to go ahead and move yourself forward. You know, the mashal, I've quoted this many times in the past, one of my favorite mashalim. The Bera Parsha, he brings down this beautiful idea. He says, if you could imagine somebody's driving and the person says, you know, the inti- when I drive, all I do is I look in the rear view mirror. That's all I do. The whole time I'm driving, I just, I just drive, I just look in the rear view mirror, right? You would hear then you say, that's ridiculous. Right? All you do is you look in the rear view mirror, you're going to get into an accident. Right? What do you have to do when you drive? You have to look ahead. You have to look ahead. You want to get from point A to point B. If all you're doing is looking in the rear view mirror, you're not going anywhere. But if you look ahead, then there's no telling what you could accomplish, where you can go. So this was Iris. So what we see from this particular episode is this concept, is this concept and this, and this, I think, is one of the most difficult things in life where sometimes I know that I have a past that's really broken. Or I shouldn't say it's really broken. I know that I have a past that has broken stuff in it. In it. And so human nature is often like, I can't move myself forward until I fix everything in my past, right? That's the, right? Does, doesn't that make sense? I should first take care of everything in the past so I can move forward. 
So essentially, what Akash Baruch Hu tells us is, yeah, good luck with that, right? Because there's almost no one who could repair everything in their past. There's going to be some stuff that is broken and is going to remain broken. And what I have to learn is the art of not looking back. I have to learn the art of kind of sometimes letting the past be the past. Recognizing that some parts of it are painful, some parts of it are difficult, some parts have left me bruised and battered. But you know what? What's done is done. What's done is done. And there's nothing I can do to fix that, to alter that, to change that. And therefore, again, the only advice I could find for myself is, Stop looking back and just simply focus on looking forward. That's the message of Iris. But then comes Sari Imenu. And Sari says, but one second, but one second. You can't not look at the past at all. Right? Remember again, even if we go back to our driving muscle, while it's true that you are supposed to go ahead and look forward, right? there's a reason why the rear view mirror is there. Right? Why is the rear view mirror there? It's important, good piece of drive, drive, driver's ed 101. Right? Why is the rear view mirror there? Right? What, 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 what role does the rear view mirror pr- play? I'm sorry. Because somebody's too close to me. Go to why else? You have to park. You have to park. here is the Amish. You drive a horse and buggy. No one uses rear view mirror for it. In other words, remember, the biggest reason the rear, rear, rear view mirror is if you want to change lanes. Right? If you want to change lanes, and you, which, which happens all the time in life, right? you need to check what's happening around you. Right? See, sometimes in life I have to pivot. And the only way to know when to pivot, how to pivot, where to pivot, is to look at my past and to figure out what went right, what went wrong. So you see, sometimes it's true. Sometimes in life, I have to pull an iris. Well, I mean, I should say I pull a lot. Right? And to pull, because Iris didn't do it. To pull a lot means sometimes you just gotta say, I'm not looking back. I'm not worrying about the failures. I'm not worrying about the misdeeds, the missteps. All I'm doing is I'm moving myself forward. But you can't do that your entire life. Because connecting with your past is also a very important part, or reconciling with your past is a very important part for future growth. And who taught us how to do that? The Alshaf says, Sarah. See, the greatness of Sari Imenu is she lives this two, this two, two ply life almost. On one hand, like the Al Sheikh said, quoting the Zarna esoteric level, her life is about rectifying the sin of Chava. And if we kind of de esoterize that a little bit, right, what that means is Sari Imenu was a person who was consciously aware. And always working on rectifying the mistakes of the past. But at the same time, she never allowed the rectification of the past to derail her dynamic activity in building a future. That's what it means to be a successful person in this world. Kulan Shavin Litova. To be the kind of person who looks in the rearview mirror. What happened? What went wrong? What went right? How could I replicate the stuff that went right? How could I avoid the stuff that went wrong? And what could I learn from the things that went wrong so that I could lead a better life going forward? And at the same time, filled with excitement, optimism, hope, and joy for what the future has in store for me. 
is two different models of living and they're both correct. The iris model is the model that teaches us that sometimes when I need to move myself forward and sometimes the past is too difficult, too painful or too overwhelming to deal with, sometimes you just got to let it go and move yourself forward. Let the failures go. That works. That works at times. That sometimes is like a band-aid to move yourself forward in life. But if you want to be successful, I need to lead a sari imenu life. And to lead a sari imenu life, kulan shavin l'tobo. What does it mean they're all good? A sari imenu life is a life where I'm able to be conscious and aware of my past. And again, one more time, what that means is to identify the things that went right so I could replicate them and to find the courage to identify the things that really have gone wrong. To figure out why did they go wrong? How did they go wrong? And what could I learn about myself and about life from those missteps and misdeeds? But at the same time, while I'm learning from my past, I have to at the same time be building a beautiful, dynamic, and incredible future. Learn from the past, grow from the past, atone for the past, but simultaneously build something beautiful for yourself in the future. Sometimes you have to be an iris. Sometimes you have to be a lot. That's episodic. And episodically, I have to behave like that. But the goal ultimately again is to try to become a sari imenu. And it's incredible because although I like to kind of bring it full circle, it's true. The Torah Kedoshah doesn't tell us all that much about Sarah, which is really pretty amazing to think about it. The first of the matriarchs, do, do we know her? Do we, do we really know her? So the truth is, it depends how you define knowing someone. If you define knowing someone by knowing about their childhood, who their parents were, how they grew up, where they lived, then the truth is, we know very little about Sarah Menu. But if you define knowing someone by knowing their essence, knowing their midos, then the Torah tells us everything we need to know about Sari Aminu. Shnei chaye Sara. Kulan shavin Latova. We should be Zochem Yertashem to build a life like the first of the Imos. Again, to find the courage to confront and tackle our past in an effort to learn and to grow from it. But to never get so consumed by the past that I, I give up and I can't move myself forward. Learn from the past, grow from the past, but at the same time, put in significant effort to build a beautiful future. We'll stop over here for tonight. Emirat Hashem, next week, we're going we're gonna to see, we're going to segue from some of these lessons, Emirat Hashem, into chapter 83, Emirat Hashem, into Tehillim. Have a wonderful evening, everyone.